2: Hi Pompey fans and welcome to the forecast episode 107. Well it's two wins now for the Cowleys as Pompey play their way through Shrewsbury. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hi
3: Hugh, not too bad thank you buddy. Always good to be here. Yeah another, another good performance ticked off and looking forward to yeah, a good episode with a lot of positivity flowing around.
2: Yeah, we've got a massive episode coming for you guys. Before we talk about that, let's bring
1: him in. Freddie Webb, how are you, Freddie? I'm doing very well, Hugh, thank you. Yeah, I um, hope everybody's having a good evening. And yeah, that, that game on Saturday, what a game. Had a bit of everything, didn't it?
2: Massively, had a bit of everything. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But before that, I'm going to tell the listeners what we're doing. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Shrewsbury. Following on from that, we've got Pompey head coach Danny Cowley. That's right. Rewind so you hear I heard it right, Danny Cowley coming on the podcast to talk to us about, well, being the new Pompey head coach, and then we're going to do a quick preview of the game against Rochdale. Right guys, let's get into it, let's do this bit first, we've got about 10-15 minutes before Danny joins the call, so let's get cracking, Shrewsbury, it was a game that we knew would be difficult, they're a team that sort of sit back well, they've taken points off the top teams around us, but we managed to find a way to play through it, didn't we Freddie?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was obvious that, it, that Shrew, how Shrewsbury were going to play. They were going to sit in their back five, frustrate sort of hit them on the break, have men behind the ball. But the the big thing for me was how patient Pompey were. Whenever they went to the wing, they didn't just immediately go for the cross, or the or the players didn't try to dribble past three players to force a chance. It was all very patient, very methodical, always looking for the player in space, and that's how they got their two goals. Really. Yeah, no, massively.
2: I think the thing, I think for me the thing was that I, I looked at us, so I thought, right, the cowdies have come in. They've had a week. Just what can they do with this team? How can we change it round? And to be honest, I knew that there was a new style they wanted to implement. It's got to be better than what was before. But I was actually really, really impressed with how quickly the players have managed to adapt to the system, Andy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the way I saw the first twenty minutes or so or twenty five minutes was that it was patient, which we've seen a lot of before, a lot of patience, but this was a bit different in that there was patience with intent, whereas potentially the last few months we've been seeing a lot of you know, build-up play, waiting for the opponent to get into two banks of four and then sort of passing it around. And then eventually you get the same sort of lump into the box. It's a very predictable move, whereas this has a bit more emphasis to it. There's a bit more drive and it actually looks like, rather than just waiting to pump it into the box or waiting to try and make a, you know, a pass that isn't really there, it was actually stretching the play to create gaps, which is a completely different thing. And I think you saw that with um, the, the early chance we had. The, I think it was a Ryan Williams header from that little dink Ben Close cross. Um, the the build-up play to that was, again, short pass, patient, but waiting for the right moment to get the ball into the danger zone. So, yeah, it's, it's been a very quick adaptation. And they said, you know, a week of, of time on the training pitch, you can do a lot. And I think that was demonstrated by what I'd say is probably the best first 45 minutes we've had this season.
2: Yeah, and I think there was a few players who I was really impressed with from the go. Uh, Callum Johnson comes in at right-back. He fits into the system, doesn't he? Because he's an attacking right-back in the sense he obviously is defensively responsible, but he gets forward well and he supports whoever's playing on the right wing. And we saw that, really, with a little quick one-two for the first goal. He gets in an advanced position, he passes the ball and gets laid off back into the box. Little quick passing, exactly what the Cowleys want, and he sets up Marcus Harness for the first goal.
3: Yeah, it was uh, again, it was nice build up play, but I think with the finish, you could see there's confidence coming back. I mean, we saw from the Instagram post after the goal last week or last game before this that, you know, there's a bit more confidence, a bit more, yeah, I'm back, a bit of mojo in a lot of the players. And I do think a few weeks ago, potentially, Harness would have taken a touch there. I do, I think the. The first time finishing to the far corner is the high-risk option. Like It's the more difficult option of the two. It's the higher reward option as well, as we saw. But I, I think it was just a good example of the confidence that there looks like starting to come back into the team now. And yeah, in terms of Callum Johnson, I mean, it's it's integral how the the right and left backs integrate or um, link up with the midfielder attacking players on that wing. We've said it before with Brown and Curtis, how when they're linking up, we look so dangerous down the left. And I do think that, yeah, that Johnson Harness combination, it just kicked into gear and looked dangerous every time Johnson bombed forward. So, yeah, a lot of positivity on that wing.
2: Callum Johnson, big tick, mate. You've come back from injury, you fit straight into the system and made an impact like it. You're talking about Marcus Harness's finish. It's an absolute sniper of a finish, isn't it? And when you've got a player who's got that ability to finish, as he said before, Jacket was holding him back, saying, You've got to stay wide. You can't get into the middle as much. Don't make those chances. So don't take those chances to get a run forward in case you're being less defensively responsible. Marcus Harness is a player with an absolute shot. He's made, He's got two and two now. Long way to continue. And if he does play up front in the next game against Rochdale, which I suspect we'll see Ronan Curtis come in. But if he did have to play in that role, I think he'd be a dangerous person to lead the line.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you. Um, technically, excellent in the forward areas his ability just to just take the ball out of his feet with excellent touches gives him that little bit of extra space that not many other attacking players have in this division and yeah as you said the, the finish pinpoint into the corner one of his better goals of the season the Cowleys have given him the target of 10 goals for the between now and the rest of the campaign I think he can hit that if Ports continue playing as they are
2: so we talked about how impressive Marcus Harness was there. Another player who's been impressing for the weeks gone by is Ben Close. Comes into the midfield, as we said. He's sort of the, the playmaker that the Cowleys need. You need to switch the play quickly left, get it right. Ben Close is the person who can ping that ball. And he did exactly that letting Lee Brown forward. He puts the ball through to Lee Brown, who you know what? He, again, we, you know, we're repping Lee Brown here because he does get forward and he has done more that season. He gets forward to the byline and he puts in a ball, which is exactly what John Marcus needs at the moment. And I know he said his confidence isn't shot, but a striker who's not scoring goals, what he needs is someone to put that on the end of a plate and the flag doesn't go up. Who knows if it was offside, but it's a good goal. Yeah, we can say
3: that, I mean, with Ben Close, the thing that jumped out at me throughout a lot of the game was... Again, it's a cliche, but he seemed to be everywhere in that he was collecting the ball from the back four at times. Yeah, he'd sort of pick a ball up from the back four and then you'd you'd blink and obviously Pompey would play it forward at a decent, spe- decent speed and you'd look up and suddenly he's also linking up with the attacking players and creating chances as happened with the second goal. And again, in terms of Lee Brown, everyone who listens knows we are ardent defenders of the man. We're big fans of him. And he's got this reputation that, you know, sometimes it's fair of just being like, there's a reason he, he likes having a crack from a distance. Absolutely blazes it. His penalty in the cup final was the most Lee Brown thing ever, just twonking it into the top corner. Exactly. But there was actually a lot of finesse here in the touchdown to to uh, Marquis. And it would have been really tempting. That little ball over from close, if I'd been in his position, I absolutely would have just tried to leather it and get my, foot be up, uh, get my foot through it. And it would have ended up in the stand. And... It just showed a lot of composure to uh, yeah, sort of pick the ball across goal and give Marquis a chance that he couldn't, yeah, you couldn't really miss. So again, lots of boxes being ticked there, boys. It's exciting.
2: Do you think it's like in, in the training ground when they're together there and everyone's been like, cool, we get Big John firing, we'll get him, we'll get him a goal. Yeah, yeah, come on. Lee Brown's in that position, as Andy says, he's not the most confident scorer, let's be honest. He 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 can score, you know, he can score. He scored the free kick. He's he's good there, but You know, he's looked over and he's got one thing in his mind, which is feed John, get John on the score sheet. He's back in the team. He plays the ball straight across to John Marquis, who gets the goal. And I'm thinking at that point, yes, John, come on. Next half, let's go on. Let's get Marquis another one. Let's get him back firing. Let's get Andy Mitchmore's prediction right on how many goals he's going to score this season, as you put out there. And then, unfortunately, we start the second half. And it's a different change, isn't it? Because I think Danny was saying on the post-match that they changed to a 4-3-3, which is a different system, which they haven't been able to sort of have the time to train against, whilst what he did do is the new Shrewsbury set up in a 3-5-2. So they trained against that. They showed how their system works against that. And then we go into the second half and they changed to a 4-3-3 and it's not quite as fluid. Freddie, how do you think the change at half-time affected the game? And did the team manage that well?
1: I think it affects the game a fair bit. So it's simply because, well... Shrewsbury managed to get their chances. They definitely they, they were more they were more aggressive in the press because they had to. They were two goals down. They didn't have the um, the uh, the the reason why to, to drop back anymore because they were behind. So they're a bit more adventurous closing down Pompey. Pompey didn't have the time that they had in the first half. So the misplaced passes were getting in a bit, and that that definitely put Shrewsbury on the front foot. And it's the reason why Nathaniel Lowe better managed to get his goal because Shrewsbury on the front foot at the time. Ogbetter drifts in from from left-back and and the Portsmouth players just gave him all the room in the world. It's a lovely finish, but if he was closed down properly, it wouldn't have happened.
2: Yeah, and you've got to think there that Sean Raggett doesn't go tight to the man. He he sort of jockeys him, gives him a lot of space again there. Would like to see him step up. Hopefully that's something they can work on in the training ground with the centre-backs to make sure they know exactly where to be in that sense. But, you know, it's one of those goals that he's a class player at left-back and he comes in, he he gets a shot away. It's a goal. You give those away sometimes.
3: I think it's a little bit harsh to, put, to, to make the comment on Raggett. I think Raggett's tracking a man there um, to try and avoid the through ball being an option. I think if Raggett goes to him immediately as he's just cutting through, then there's a really dead simple through ball and we're probably getting the same end result. I think it was just an unfortunate circumstance where he just gets the wrong side of close and then Naylor and the space opens up in front of him. I think it's a it is an avoidable goal because obviously you sh- you shouldn't have players running at you from near the halfway line and being able to get to almost the D without you know without facing a challenge. But yeah, I, I personally, I mean, you know that I'm I'm willing to critique when I think Raggett hasn't closed someone down when he should have. But I think in this case, Raggett was tracking his man like he probably should do as a centre back in that in that individual position anyway.
1: All right, fair enough. And you would expect that. the midfielders to cut a cut or better out before that anyway as well. yeah it it
3: is what it is isn't it at this point like it's not it's not a a cataclysmic mistake by any stretch of the imagination
2: from anyone micro analysis what we on about boys yeah no so obviously that happens it's 2-1 then you then the red card happens let's get it out there you know the elephant in the room john marquis some people have been a bit harsh i think on critiquing him for going in for that challenge and saying about his touch or whatever he's in the middle of of the field the ball comes off him it's a little bit of a heavy touch As it happens, all over the field for multiple players all game, let's be honest. Pops out in front, it goes to the ball, it gets a toe to it first, is my first, you know, is my first analogy of what happened. Yeah, and he catches the guy. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's a little bit clumsy, but in my opinion, I'd like to know what you guys think. It's a yellow.
1: Yeah, uh, I hate modern football sometimes. I don't see how that's a red card at all. Um, I thought it was harsher than the Watmore sending off for me personally because he doesn't go over the ball like Watmore does yes it, yeah, Marcus is clumsy then he, then he leaps in like uh, a number nine does in a slide tackle but it, I thought it was very harsh he, get, he gets partial a part of the ball goes through the man as well so that's where the argument comes on oh was it excessive force that type of thing and another thing the Shrewsbury players milked it for all it was worth uh, the referee was surrounded immediately he took a long time him to make his decision as well. So it makes you think he might have been influenced in some way. But as soon as the red card was made, I didn't think that Portsmouth would win an appeal because they would back the excessive force argument one day.
2: Yeah, and I spoke to a couple of Shrewsbury fans after the game and they think it's a harsh decision as well. So it's not often, you, you know, when you speak to people who don't know what they want about from the opposite team and they also agree it's probably a bit harsh to be a red, then you, I think that generally the consensus is that it isn't a red even though the FA or EFL, whoever the governing body was there, decided not to overturn the red card. If you're listening at home and you don't know that, John Marcos will be banned for the following three games. It's a loss, isn't it? But what I did like to see was that the team didn't look like we're playing with 10 men. They came back fighting. They were combative. They pushed up high up the pitch when needs to be. And yeah, maybe it wasn't as, as pretty sort of tic-tac-toe football, but they did exactly what they needed to do at that time. Tic tac toe football. What's that? I like that.
3: (laughs) That's Northern Crosses, isn't it? Tic tac toe. Tic tac toe is one. Ticky tacker.
2: It's a hockey phrase, isn't it, Freddie? I started my mistake.
3: Is it an ice hockey phrase? Right. Okay. Yeah. Straight over my head. Um, I think (laughs) after the red card, it was obviously, you know, squeaky bum time, edge of seats, because you're one goal up and, you know, you're playing with 10 men. But it didn't look panicked, did it? And it looked, again, structured and I don't remember there being any particularly good Shrewsbury chances after the red card. I don't think. Nothing jumps out to mind anyway. There was nothing in the XG,
1: if that means anything.
3: That means everything to me. As you know, Freddie, I live for XG, so thank you. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it it looked, obviously from a fan perspective, we're obviously all very nervous at that point, but the players looked like they were going to comfortably see it out, which they obviously did, even though there was an inordinate amount of injury time at the end of the game, probably mostly from you know, 90 minutes of the Shrewsbury players surrounding the referee at every single decision. Uh, But yeah, saw the game out. And the second half was never going to be the same as the first half because the first half was such a high standard and the second half was a completely different beast. And I I mean, I didn't get the score right, but I very rarely get my predictions even close. So I'm going to throw back to the pod last week. I know, yeah, Hugh, you got it right. Congrats. Big, big big whoop um, but I did say Pompey would score early and the game would open up as a result and we would have to go for it and that did happen I mean I think I predicted 2-0 rather than 2-1 but the fact that we scored early forced their hand uh, as, been, as, as has already been said so it was nice to see something a little bit different and I mean now we know that we've got the three points we can say it's definitely a positive that there was a different type of test against a different formation in the second half because you know that, that could potentially happen again in a future game where we're drawing or, or not, a, not a goal up at that point or two goals up at that point. And that's 45 minutes of extra experience they've got playing against that formation. So it could be valuable in the future. You never know.
1: They also managed the game very well. Um, like Andy mentioned, there was a, it we didn't really have a chance. There was nothing in the XG. to that they had the strong clear-cut chance either. And Portsmouth didn't do the thing that they used to do when they're down to 10 men and give up possession. They didn't give up possession. They They held it particularly well, and if you want a star to hang, ha- hang your hat on like everybody does, Pompey's long pass percentage for that game was only 6.3%. That's the lowest they've had in the league all season by quite a way.
3: What sort of is the normal data there, Freddie, for other games? What's a, what's a normal long ball percentage for Pompey this season?
1: Uh, it's varied wildly depending on, well, during that period where Portsmouth played really well when they are pressing a lot, it was around 10 or 12 uh, but more recently during the bad run, it was a bit higher. some games over 20. One game was over 25, which I think was a bit mental, but that's an outlier. So yeah, um, in terms of it, in terms of it being to different to the mean, that 6.3% is a lot lower than it has been throughout the
3: Well, thanks for the context. Yeah. Fred, what what was the XG for that game? I don't mean to put you on the spot. What was the XG One, for
1: both 1.85 teams? for Bortsmouth, which is higher than... The last nine games under Kenny Jackett's tenure, the last time Portsmouth got a higher XG was against Bristol Rovers, where we had a load of chances we just didn't take them.
2: Awesome, thank you very much, Fred. So you can see, basically, I'm going to call that a statement of intent. That is, it's a way of passing, it's a philosophy of play, and it's genuinely seems to be creating more chances and you know more results already than we had at the latter end of Jackett's tenure. You can see that's not an easy feat to have. Let's be honest. You look at a team like Ipswich, who have got Paul Cook, good manager, struggling to implement the the style and system that she has onto Ipswich straight away. Whether that's just the way he builds a team, whether he needs a summer more or or whatever that reason is, it's worth noting that that is something that Cowdies have done and that should be applauded, I suppose, on the level that they have come in and made an instant impact. And it's going to be interesting going forward to see if we can do the same against Rochdale. All right, so we think we've done our little game review. So in a minute, we're going to chat to Pompey head coach, Danny Cowley. To be honest, it's pretty awesome he's come onto the podcast to talk to us and talk to you guys about his, his vision, his dream for Pompey, where he sees us going and all that malarkey. And we'll get into it now. There's no need for me to headline it. So here's our conversation with Pompey head coach, Danny Cowley. Alright, so I'm here with Pompey head coach Danny Cowley. And Danny, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Pleasure. Nice to see you all, guys.
2: No, thanks for coming on. It's uh, it's great to have managed to get you on in the first few weeks. I know everyone's really excited. I know we're excited. The listeners will be excited. So, yeah, it's much appreciated, mate.
0: No, it's a pleasure. It's always, always good to speak to the supporters. And obviously, we haven't been able to meet meet, meet you all with, with, the, with the COVID restrictions. But, but it's good to come on the show and um hopefully there'll be a lot of portsmouth supporters listening i I actually met a few of them yesterday i had a a run down the seafront late last night and it was it was pretty busy and it it was good to 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 see a few supporters there
2: nice one did you you manage to stop and chat them with some people out at distance and stuff all right
0: yeah that was it yeah we we had some good conversation and spoke a little bit about the weekend and obviously two important games
2: yeah, massively. And we're going to get on to that. But let's start at the beginning here. So how are you settling in? I know you mentioned before that you bumped into a few people jogging on the, on the beach in South Sea. But how have you found the transition to move down to Portsmouth?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, we, we, we spent the first few nights in a, in a hotel, in, in a holiday inn. And now and now we're lucky enough to be in an apartment. So we, um, we spent most of our time in the training ground, which is just how we like it. We did get home slightly earlier last night, and yeah, as I say, realised that we've we're actually in a, on an apartment, and we can see the sea, which is which is lovely. And our children are actually, I think, are coming down coming down this weekend, so their school finished today, so they're gonna they're gonna come down and and see the Portsmouth life because we um we haven't seen too much of them over the last couple of weeks because we've been been uh, focused on this.
3: So, Danny, you left Huddersfield in the summer of 2020 after after the last season ended after you know COVID interruptions. I don't think you've been sat on your hands between then and now. Uh, you've obviously been trying to keep up to date with the game and basically being ready at any time to to come back into a professional role, which happens to have been at Portsmouth. What have you been doing to make sure you sort of kept your kept your eye on the ball, so to speak, in that time between appointments?
0: Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So um, our time at Huddersfield would have ended at the at the end of July, and um, obviously we had the extended season last year because of because of COVID, and probably the first time in my adult life, my world went from 100 miles per hour to to maybe 15 miles per hour, and um, yeah, it's definitely different. I think it's been a really good time for Nikki and I just to to reflect on. We kind of had a whirlwind of thirteen years um, in football, um, and been lucky enough to be involved in some successful teams, which meant pretty long, extended seasons most most years. Um, and I think it was just a really good opportunity, first and foremost, just to draw breath, to to take some learning from from certainly the last experience at Huddersfield, which was a was a brilliant experience for us. And and yeah, then it was. To, to 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 take that learning and look at ways of, of trying to move forward and um, I think we spent a lot of time putting together a kind of we we're looking for a name for it I called it my football bible I don't think he likes that but but yeah so it's just basically for us a really good opportunity to put all of our session plans and all of our drills onto onto an app which then allows us to animate the the drills to better show the players. Um, I think it's been a really good time just to go back to our game model and our game idea and look to to add to that. And again, look to find different ways of of creating learning opportunities with the players. Obviously, you have the learning opportunities on the pitch. um, You have great time on the grass um, with the players, working individually, maybe working in departments, obviously working as a collective group. But you know that you can only, as a coach, you can only spend so much time on the grass, particularly in a in an English league season when when you're playing a 46 league game and, and hopefully some cup games as well. So so no, to try to find other opportunities and different ways of um, helping the players learn in, in maybe a in maybe an, an analysis situation or a classroom setting. So so yeah, it's been a really invaluable time. Uh, we've, we've really enjoyed watching lots of football, been trying to watch football from all different parts of the world. We did a project on where we thought thought football would be in 10 years. So we looked back 10 years and looked at where football was 10 10 years ago. Then we we had a good opportunity to look and and think about the changes that have been made and and look at where where it might go in in, in the future. And I think as a coach, you, you always want to try to get ahead of the curve if you can.
1: So it sounded like you were doing a lot of meticulous preparation before taking on the Portsmouth job. It was uh, mentioned in the news by Jordan Cross that you'd watched at least 15 full Portsmouth matches from your time on Quest and et cetera. In that time, Portsmouth, Portsmouth's form dropped off a cliff. What were the reasons that you had identified for that downturn in form? And also, do, what ideas did you have to turn that form around before taking on the job?
0: Well, I think I think we'd we'd watched a lot of Portsmouth. Um, we 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 liked what we'd seen. Certainly over the Christmas period, I thought you had a really good run, and I think I believe I actually said on, on on Quest that that for me you you ticked all of the the League One boxes that you need to tick if you're going to be a a team that gains automatic promotion. Maybe I gave you the kiss of death by saying that. So if I did, I apologise. But but no, I you know I, you know in recent times it. Prior to us coming in, it hadn't been so easy. I'm I'm always cautious of, you know, when you're looking from the outside in, it's easy to, to cast an opinion, but you don't really know unless you've lived it. I've obviously got huge respect for Kenny Jacket. Any anybody, any manager that lives to test the time in football kind of, you know, certainly, certainly gets my respect. Real positive for us knowing that we were going to take a Kenny Jacket team was that we knew that he would have really good, honest, hardworking staff. Um, good people and we also knew that he would only recruit a certain type of player and a certain type of character within that player so we knew that we would be getting a a hard-working humble honest group and 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 so we found and and I have to say the group have been have been a delight really they've been they've been really coachable Um, they've been really open-minded and, and, and for, for Nicky and I, our ambition every day is only just to try to make, make the players better. We wake, every, wake up every day with the aim of trying to affect and influence every single one of them to, to, to improve. And the fact that they're, they're so open-minded to that has meant that we've been able to, to build relationships really quickly.
2: Uh, you talked about honest, hard-working staff and obviously you've kept Joe um, Gallen at the club. Has he been a bit of a voice for you to understand where the players are at?
0: Well, I think Joe, Joe is just a, a, a really great football person and loves football. And you know, for us, we weren't quite sure how it was how it was going to go because obviously he's been with Kenny for quite a long while. Um, he had an incredibly tough week with, 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 you know, when we when we joined. If you consider the fact that you obviously lost in the in the Papa John's Trophy final at Wembley on the Saturday good friend and someone he's worked very closely with for a number of years then gets sacked off the back of it he then takes the team on the Tuesday we pick up a conversation um, with him on the Thursday having just taken the job and for us he just spoke so enthusiastically so passionately not just about football but but the the club in general and I was was actually really inspired off the back of that conversation and um, you know he knows the group really really well the players have huge respect for Joe. And he's lived football for, for so long now that it would have been, I think, really ignorant and naive of us not to, to utilize his his experience, not just of and not just of the league, but but, but absolutely the, the the group of players. And he's been um, you know, with Jake Wigley, they've been they've been they've been invaluable to to Nikki and I in, in, in the short term time that we've been at the club.
3: So is that, would you say, a sign of the fact that you're not trying to sort of rebuild from the ground up? You're trying to continue the work and that that groundwork that Jacket and Gallon have put in?
0: I think for Nikki and I, it's always to try to work out very quickly what's good and what can we continue to run with? And then where can we get some quick wins and where do do you think we can add? Now, we have a certain game idea and and a way that we like our teams to play. I wish I had a magic wand and I could just click it and, and and we could get to it straight away. Football is not, and life I suppose is not that straightforward. So it, it, it is a gradual process. It is work in, in in progress and it's kind of a layered approach that, that is the way that we work. So so no, we 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 are moving towards where we would like to go. There's still a huge amount of work to, to be done. Um, but but without doubt there were some really good things already already in place at the club and when you come in as a new manager, you're you're very respectful that there's a natural level of uncertainty which causes an anxiety amongst the staff and amongst the players, and I think very quickly you've got to have good communication and good conversation to try to create an environment where everyone feels safe and secure enough. And I think, from my experience, when you create a safe and secure environment, actually it allows people to be themselves. And when you when you create that environment, and allow people to be themselves. You actually start to see the best version of, of the people. And then you allow the staff and the players to perform at their best. And that has to be the the main aim for the for the football club.
2: So you spoke about the senior players and obviously they need a they need a bit of an arm around them as well and they need a bit of guidance and sort of just a bit of belief and oomph and confidence installed in them. But nothing's more true of that, I suppose, than with the academy players who who need that, I suppose, the most. And you've been down to watch the the different age groups, I know, and you spoke to the coaching staff there as well. What are the short-term goals that you've seen? Or, you know, to talk about quick wins, but what, what's the short-term goals needed for the academy? And what are the next steps, I suppose, going forward for Portsmouth as an academy to be successful in the championship?
0: Good question. I think, yeah, for Nikki and I, you know, you kind of, I think in business they say 30, 60, 90 days, don't they? In football, invariably you don't get that long, so it's kind of 15, 30, 45 days. And you know, there's the first part for us is just to get to know the people and try to speak to all of the people and get to get that to, to uh, get a feel of all the different provisions that support the first team. And for Nikki and I, the academy is a, is a crucial part of that. Coming from the backgrounds that we do, we love working with with young people. I think young people bring an energy and a vibrance to to. To, to the environment that you work in. So, so no, it, it was great to get out to the academy last week. We watched, I think we watched the 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13s and 14s um, on the Wednesday night. On the Thursday night, we saw the little babies, the 8s, uh, the under 8s, which was great. And it was really good to have a conversation with them. Um, and then we've obviously seen some of the older ones and some of the older ones, quite a few of the older ones, actually have trained with us over the over the past past 12, 13 days. So so no that 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 has been that has been really good. I think if we want to be a successful football club, we need an outstanding academy because we have to have the ability to produce our own players. Um, and we will not be able to get sustainable success unless we can achieve that. Now if you look at, at Portsmouth, we're in a very fortunate position in the respect that we have a number of players that have come through the academy, the likes of Jack Watmore, Ben Close, Alex Bass, that, that have all come through, through the academy and are now playing regularly in the first team. So straight away, we have a pathway for the young players. We know that Portsmouth is a hotbed for football. We know that the likes of Walt prowse shouldn't mention Southampton players on, on this podcast properly, but also Mason Mount come from a Portsmouth A Portsmouth background, we know they're both Portsmouth supporters, which is is obviously great Um, but what we have to do as a football club moving forward is make sure that no player leaves Portsmouth without playing for Portsmouth so no way over our dead body can anybody go to Bournemouth, to Southampton to Brighton and to do that we have to have really intelligent recruitment I was told today, actually, I think there's 20,000 players playing grassroots football from, from the babies all the way up to under 16. So that in Hampshire alone is a huge catchment area. We have to make sure that our identif- identification, our recruitment is, is outstanding. And then we have to actually provide the, pro- the, 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 the provision that we provide for those players has to be outstanding. And if we get those two things right... Nobody ever dreams of leaving Portsmouth. Nobody ever dreams of driving 45 minutes an hour along the coast to another football club. But but we have to get those two things right. How do you get those two things right? I think by valuing it, by having really, really good planning. Um, but most importantly, it's the people. Having really, really good staff, um, really focused staff um, that, that are able to deliver the... the the, the relevant education for the young players and that's definitely what we see. I think we you know in our times at our previous clubs have always worked really, really closely with the academy. and I think on the, in the short term, just getting a little bit of alignment, get some joined up thinking, maybe try to create that that unity which I think is so important important to Portsmouth and there's absolutely, a huge will from everyone at the club, from, from the owners, from Michael, from Eric and Andrew and, and, and certainly Mark Catlin and, and, and Tony to, to, to really drive the, the, the academy. And, you know, in the in, in, in short term, it's just a, an opportunity just to get to understand how the, how the academy works. And we've met with, with Liam Daish um, and we've met with, with Sean Driscoll and, and had some really good conversations already with those guys and just trying to trying to get to understand how they're currently working and how we can support them moving forward. But but like I say, it is, um, for me, a, a, a huge part of the job and a big part of the football club and a part of the football club that we have to get right and have to get right really, really quickly to ensure that in the long term we can develop our own players because if we can do that then that puts us in a really really good position moving forward
3: I think most fans see Portsmouth as probably a championship level or an old Div 1 level club that's sort of our, our baseline or the resting place that you know you're, you're quite happy if the club's there and then if you can push on you know, to break that ceiling and push up to the next level then fantastic as the club did for a while Do you have a a viewer opinion of of what Pompey's baseline should be that we're working towards to sort of get away from some of that frustration I think Pompey fans have had in the last few years where we feel like we're kind of punching below our our weight a little bit? What should should that Portsmouth baseline be where we're then aiming at the next level above that, I guess?
0: Uh, I I know you guys have had had a really difficult time Um, over recent seasons, since the the Premier League years, and I understand that for me, I only want to look forward. Um, I want to dream big. I I don't ever believe in putting a ceiling on on anyone's expectation. I I always believe that that we as human beings only control our own destiny. Nobody else gets that privilege. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't want to put a ceiling on what we can achieve um, I would like to get to the championship really, really quickly because I experienced it last year, and um, it's a fantastic league to, to be in. Um, but this is a great football club with a huge football tradition. Um, it's got an unbelievable support base, a Premier League support base, um, and and I believe in this world anything is possible. So um, we, um, like I said, no, no ceiling for me. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be really positive. We're gonna work really, really hard. And we're going to try to get the the, the, the most success possible for, for for the people of
1: Portsmouth. Yeah, those, long to, those long-held those um, long ideals of where Portsmouth could be is probably one of the reasons why recently there's been a bit of a rift between the fans and the club. I think it's definitely exacerbated by the fans not being able to go into the stadium, but it's also down to the poor run of form that's been on and the style of play that doesn't, didn't fit with the players as well as many of them thought we did. Apart from obviously coming on this podcast and chatting to us, and also um, some of the other media, media interviews that you've done, what, what are the keys in creating that positive relationship with the fans that has uh, been under stress for the
0: past few months? Yeah, good question, Freddie. I think for for us, it's always about connection, and how do you create human connection? Well, you have to get out, and you have to meet the people, and you have to spend time with the people, and you know when I when I arrived at Portsmouth, I can feel the the allegiance that the people have with the with, with not just the football club but with the city. And I know how, how proud you guys are of, of of being being Portsmouth. Um so so for, for Nikki and I it's always to get into the schools to meet the young children. I always think that they're the they're the future of any football club. So to be able to get to get into the schools and to 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 build those relationships is relationships are really important um but also to get out into the in, in 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 into the workplaces and and like I said I go back to it you know to to create a connection you need to you need to get out and you need to you need to go and, you need to go and walk the hard hard yards and I, and I believe that with the players the community for me is 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 everything I've seen firsthand at Lincoln City how powerful that, that can be. We, when we arrived, we would have had 1,300 season tickets, maybe 2,000 supporters. You know, By the end of our first season, we had 10,000 supporters. By the start of the second season, we had 7,500 season ticket holders. And the reason for that, in my opinion... We, yeah, we had a bit of success on the pitch, but we had the success because of the relationships that we that that we built with the with the people. And I think when you do that, and they see maybe some you'd hope on a good day some human quality in you, then then they you know that connection can be really really powerful. And actually, when you are up against it in games, which sometimes you are, and maybe you are facing adversity and not playing as well as you would like then the people get right behind you and they show their true colours and they show their, their strength and that, that can really help you when you, when you need it most. So, so for me, you know, you, you, we love football. So it's always great to be able to, to get out and meet the people. I think, you know, Nikki and I wake up every morning with, with the weight of the responsibility of this job. We know exactly how important this football club is to have so many people and we know that it carries a big role in the identity of the city. So we are under no illusions how how big a responsibility we have. Um, and I can promise you, you, you know, we'll be working every single minute of every single day to try to get on the right side of it. And, and really, you know, our ambition is just to try to create a, a team and a club that everybody in Portsmouth can be really proud to be associated with. That's what that's what our that's what our aim is, and that's what we're gonna gonna work hard to try to achieve.
2: And that's incredible to hear, Danny. And I remember um, on my old uh, my old boss used to be a Lincoln fan in my old job i worked there for about five years. Dave, you're probably listening, aren't you? I haven't seen you for a few years, but I'm guessing now you're on the podcast. He's going to tune in, Danny. But it's, it's actually great to have you uh, leading the charge reports before, rather than Lincoln because I get to uh, I get to rep you there rather than sort of <laughs> oh, you're doing a God job there smashing all my expectations. But just talking about Lincoln is interesting because I was... I was thinking about, I mean, some Pompey fans questioned the difference in coming in as a manager or coming in as a, as a head coach and whether that, that could cause any problems on down the line. Um, I know you, did a, you brought in the sporting director at Lincoln yourself. And you were involved in that decision making. Um, is it Jez George? Jez George. Yeah. Um, and he did a fantastic job there. How important is it if a sporting director came in that you, you sort of, you have that synergy and, and you sort of, you know, you pick him and you work together?
0: I I think you always want want that alignment, don't you, as a a football club. Um, And to be honest, the the moment that we met met the owners, the moment we met met Michael, Eric and Andrew, um, and and also spoke in great length with Mark, Mark Catlin, um, straight away we knew they were really good people and it felt like there was a chemistry and an energy and and a synergy. And it's really hard to meet good people in football. So when you do, you have to... You have to cherish. You have to cherish those moments, and you, you know, I, I, we've been lucky enough. Whenever we've met good people and had good owners, we've been able able to achieve a lot of success. So, so no, there's there's definitely um, a, 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 a real synergy there, and I really look forward to getting to know the guys more and get and get to know uh, get to know and to understand exactly how they work and. I can already sense their their ambition for this football club, and now their, their drive and, and enthusiasm for this football club, which is which, we, which they definitely sold to us in our in 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 our early conversations. Um, going going back to the sporting director role for for, for Nikki and I at, at Lincoln, we quickly realised that the nature of leading a successful team you can get really caught up on the on the day to day operation of. Of, of playing games and particularly you know I think in that first season at Lincoln we played 67 games that, that year because um, we had a, had a wonderful FA Cup run to the quarterfinals as a non-league team so ridiculous amount of games in that competition we got to a, the semi-final of the FA Trophy um, and obviously a 46 game season and you can get really caught up in the operation and Because of that, and you're scared sometimes as the manager or the head coach to to look beyond the next game because you have to give that all of your focus. And sometimes it's hard to drive the strategy of the club at the same time. And I think that the best sporting directors certainly that I've worked with have the ability to drive the strategy. You know, we're all aligned, owners, head coach, managers, sporting director. Different provisions around the first team, the supporters, we're all aligned in our vision for the club and the strategy for the club, but but they drive the strategy and probably support you on the club on the operation, and and while you have an input in the strategy, that that more is their focus and your focus is the is the day to day bit, and um, you know that's certainly the the relationships that we had at had at, um, at Lincoln and and and, and the club without a doubt benefited from
2: that it's a bit like having some co-hosts really isn't it on a podcast you know so you know if i had two muppets doing it rather than these two i'd probably want to do it on my own with you danny wouldn't it but it's working <laughs> out all right it's working out all right with these two now so it's all right lads so yeah, you kept on
0: have you, have you just put them on mute there
3: <laughs> he, he hasn't got the authority for that he's not jackie weaver he's got no authority here
2: <laughs> it's andy's um, zoom account
3: <laughs> yeah it's my zoom account yeah um you can tell Hugh's like it's a special episode when he was actually being nice to myself and Freddie rather than just slating us for however many people to listen to for the That was nice, mean. was it? That was for your standards. Was that very was very nice. Yeah. I'm, oh, thanks, I'm actually boys. swooning a little bit and I've got a little bit flushed to you. <laughs> uh, um <laughs> one of one of the legacies of of Kenny Jackett, one of the things that was seen a lot under his tenure was players. Playing in multiple different positions, either during the game, sort of rotating and, and altering the system mid-match to sort of combat an opponent's change in formation, um, or to even in the, the initial team lineup, where, you know, we've seen um, Curtis, Williams, Harness all playing up top alongside John Marquis, you know, sometimes starting on the right and left wing, sometimes swapping over mid-game. Obviously, the hands are a bit tied at the moment with injuries and suspension. So, we might see players playing up, uh, up in sort of an advanced position who, who wouldn't normally appear there. But is your preference to have players to a, a set position, and you have say you identify one of the three players I've just named and say, right, you're probably going to be who I start alongside John Marquist, if I've got everyone fit, or do you go go into the same sort of school of thought where you you know it depends who you're up against in terms of you know lining up attributes to defensive attributes of the opposition.
0: I think for us, we're not too caught up in formations. Um, what we like, we like plus one on the defensive line. We like plus one on the attacking line. So we always like to try to create that numerical advantage if, if we can. More importantly for, for Nicky and I, it's just to try to get the players in the best area of the pitch where they can perform their skills to the best of their ability. And, you know, that, that, that is more where our, where our focus lies. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of the numbers, the four at the back, the three at the back, I think, like I said, it's just always trying to get the the, the numerical advantage. So if we play against the the, the front two, then, then then we like to use the three, um, and and likewise, if we play against the back four, we like to get five in the attacking line. If we play against the back five, we like to get six in the attacking line. So so that that, that that's more important for us. Um, than, than the actual formation and what never changes are the principles. So the fast attacking football, the the high pressing, um, that real aggressive, intense way of playing, um, is is that that will never change. And I think I think really, you know, our aim with this group is to try to get a little bit more control and a little bit more rhythm um, and fluency in our play. We would like to get the ball to our attacking players quicker. And we would like to get the ball to our attacking players more regularly, because we think if we can do that, we will increase that chance creation. And we know that if we do that, then we'll get a bit more positional discipline from them. Um, so rather than them coming narrow and coming towards the ball, they will be able to penetrate more, move away from the ball, and they'll also keep their width more, which will allow us more balance in our in our attack. So, so they're the, they're they're the things that 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 we're, that we're looking to go after as a as as, uh, as a coaching team at the moment, and and I have to say again, you know we we we've been so impressed with the, the ability of the group to take the, the information on board. I thought from ten minutes to forty five on Saturday, we were able to play with some real rhythm. And we're Portsmouth Football Club, you know, our ambition every game should be to to firstly to 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 dominate the game, and, and secondly to to win as a consequence of that. Um, so. So no, I thought from 10 to 45, we did really, really well and we were able to get that real fluency. Um, in the second half, they made some tactical changes and we're still quite a new group. So we haven't got all of the tactical solutions. We'd have loved to be been able to take give them all the tactical solutions on day one, but the human brain doesn't work like that. And if you give people too much information, then... Then they can end up forgetting it all quite quickly. So it has to be a really gradual, layered approach. And they're footballers, so they learn best by doing. They learn best on the grass by performing and feeling it. So it has to be a it has to be a, a gradual a gradual process. But we aim to try to accelerate that process. I think that's what good coaching can can do. And we're really looking forward. To, you know, it's such a fun time when you pick up a new group and you you you're able to. Convey your, your ideas and your way of working, and particularly when you find a group that are so open-minded to it, and actually have the natural profiles to be able to fit to what you want to do, and be able to execute what you're asking of them successfully. So, no, it's, it, it's a really exciting time, and you know, maybe while while everyone else becomes quite outcome orientated, which often happens at the back end of a season. And you know they kind of get really result driven. I think if we stay really process driven, then then actually that that could be really good for us and, and good for the outcomes that, that, that obviously everybody at the club so so desperately want.
1: Uh, the uh, the fastest hack in football that you want to implement this side um, and to add to it is doing very well from the first two games. It seems like the players have started to fit that system like a glove, which you wouldn't have expected from only two games in. But before you guys joined, there was. That myth that some of the supporters had on social media and some of the outlets had that um, you guys focused on a more direct style of football and and were stubborn and wouldn't change it was that was that preconception frustrating or surprising? Because for, from the videos I've watched of you on the coach's voice talking about the fluid attacking football, that's completely different to some of the preconceptions people had before that.
0: Yeah, I think I think sometimes in in football, perception and reality can be quite different. Obviously, you know, for Nicky and I, we, prior to this season, we'd have managed for 13 years and we had eight seasons playing at Concord Rangers in a very, very different way. So what we played at Braintree, when we picked up a team that just stayed up in the in the National League, probably with the lowest budget in the division as a part-time team, we, we played in a counter-attack style with that group and, you know, so a part-time team, finished third in, in the National League, which was a huge achievement for that group, arguably our, our best ever achievement. Um, and then at Lincoln, we inherited Matt Reed, who was at that time our, our highest paid player. Um, we, um, and, and a very, very good forward in, in the National League. And, you know, I believe it is your job as a coach to find the best way of playing to help the players be successful Um, and you know it's our job to be able to coach the game in many different ways now we have an ideal that we love and that we want to work towards and actually in our time at Lincoln we work towards that and if anyone watched you know the the first year got a lot of publicity because I think we were the first team in over 100 years first non-league team in over 100 years to get to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup so naturally that carried a lot of publicity by the time we won League, League 2 in our third year the, the team had completely evolved the starwood completely evolved um, and we were able to really start to move towards where we wanted to be we actually still had some way to go because the team we inherited um, at Lincoln you can't go from that team with the profile of players that we had to the polar opposite overnight. You have to, it has to be a gradual process. Well, you could do it, but I think you'd probably, you'd probably find that, that you, you wouldn't win many football matches if you, if you did that so, so drastically. So it had to be a gradual process. Nikki and I actually had to teach ourselves how to play that direct style because that would have been our, our ninth, 10th year as a manager. And and we hadn't played that way before, so we were actually learning on the job in terms of that way that way of playing. But but we but but but, but we did, and we found the best way for that group. And I think what you have to do as a, as a football manager, as we all know, you have to win some games to give yourself time. And once you give yourself the time, then you're able to work towards your ideal. Because we talk a lot, don't we, in football about philosophy? And um, yeah, I just think that 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 that, that is very closely linked to your ideals, and absolutely you should work towards that. But sometimes, if you start quite a long way away from your ideals, it can take it. It can be a gradual process, and it can take time. But but no, we um we loved that time at Lincoln, and um, it was a great club full of great people. I'll be forever appreciative of of the of the people there, and and particularly the players and the supporters because. You know, we we were successful. and We were able to win things, but the the, the greatest thing for, for Nikki and I are the, are, the, are the friendships that we made.
2: Undoubtedly, when you came to Pompey, then did you think? Because obviously, you've you know you're you're having a chat with Nikki. You know, you're speaking to Pompey. Did you ever look at the squad and think this is a group of players that we can implement that system that we want to play? Did you look at the likes of people in the in the middle like Closey, and you got Naylor there, you can be your enforcer, and you got we've got you talk about the talented players and we're excited to see Marcus Harness play a bit further forward, to be honest. It's a player that, you know, he's obviously got amazing ability to be able to, to score goals, to create space up front. Did you look at the squad that Pompey had and just think we can play the system we want even over a short period of time?
0: I think we just, when, when, when Mark phoned us with regards to the job, it's Portsmouth football club, isn't it? So, you know, uh, we knew it was on a short-term con- contract, which carries some risk for, for, for Mickey and I. But if you believe in your work ethic and you believe in your skill set, then you know, it depends what you, you see as risk. You know, we saw it as a really good opportunity. I just didn't see the risk in it. I just saw the opportunity. Um, I think there'd be thousands of Portsmouth supporters that would cut their right arm off to be manager of, of Portsmouth Football Club for just one game. Let alone the opportunity to manage twelve games. So, so, and we really felt that and saw that. And, and yeah, without a doubt, you know, we we knew that they were a good group, um, quite a balanced squad. We knew that they were in a difficult moment and that uh, things hadn't gone as well as they would have liked or the club would have liked. We knew that that would need turning round. We felt that the group had lost some momentum and some confidence for whatever reason. So. You then think about the task in front of you and you think about how you're going to approach that task and whether you can be successful. And we've always tried to set ourselves up for success. That's what what Nikki and I have always tried to do. We knew that we were picking up a team that were 10th and that we're on a downward curve. But we did believe that with the right work, both on the pitch and off the pitch, that we could quickly make the group feel more competent. Um, and if we could create, improve their competency, then we'd improve their confidence quite quickly. We, we did well to win a really competitive game against Ipswich. We didn't get anywhere near the control we would have liked, I thought we got stronger as the game went on. It was great to win a game after conceding first, which I think the club hadn't done for a while. That gave us a good energy into, into the, 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 the next week. Um, and we were able then to get some good work on the grass, and we went into the Shusley game in a much better place. But let's not forget, we played really well for 35 minutes. Our our aim is we want to play well for 90 minutes um, because we want to you know we want to dominate games for 90 minutes. That that's that has to be our our focus and our aim, and that's certainly what we're 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 going to work really hard towards.
2: So you said you came into the club there and we we're on a downward turn and it's, it's completely spot on. But now, now that turn's turned back up the other way, Danny, we've got we've got six points in the two games you've been here. Um, and I think the fans are really are really invigorated back into the team um, from what all the fans are telling us anyway. People are, people are just suddenly switched back on. They're so much more engaged. The amount of interaction we're getting is up by, I don't know, 40, 50 percent, which is huge over a couple of weeks straight away. So, yeah, thanks for that, mate, to be honest. You're doing a great job. Um, And if it all goes on, carries on well, the last question I've got to ask you is, uh, what pint are you drinking down the pub or what's your drink of choice Mm -hmm. if we uh, go down to the Shepherd's Crook afterwards to celebrate a playoff win?
0: Well, it's it's very nice of you to say we... um... We're going to focus on tomorrow rather than looking too far ahead. And, and we're really respectful. It's early days, but we've loved the, the short time we've been in the football club. There's, you know, there's a really good feeling here. Um, like I said, the group, the group, players and staff are really proud to be associated with this, with this brilliant football club. And um, I can really feel that. And that in itself can be hugely powerful we can feel the the unconditional support from 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 you guys which is just just brilliant and believe me the positive noise definitely helps the, the group so so we're, we're 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 thankful for that we're also respectful enough to know that we have to produce on the pitch consistently to to ensure that that continues and that that ultimately is is every human relationship isn't it it's always give and take no relationships don't work if one person gives and the other person just takes. So, so it's always it's always it's always both ways. So we have to do our bit. We, we we understand that. And as I said, we're going to look to win some football matches. And if we can, then you know we Nicky and I would love the opportunity to be able to to manage at Fratton Park in front of a in front of a full stadium and get to meet you all all in person. And if we get to that point, which we're going to work. And do everything we can to try to to, to achieve that. I'll have a, a bottle of Coke because I, I don't drink. So
2: oh,
0: that's good, mate. Um, that that would be pretty much me. Uh, a, a wild night for me is a is a win on a Saturday, and then I afford myself a a bottle of Coke Saturday night, and uh, i watch the football. So yeah, that's about as, that's about as uh, as lively as I get on a night out. Unfortunately,
3: pretty <laughs> similar to you, Never. Hugh, isn't it? That's that's exactly what you do after a Saturday win, isn't it? Here from our experiences of seeing you on Zoom.
0: Yeah,
2: that's the case. I'm sure it's the case. We did an emergency podcast because when the manager sacked, and uh, unfortunately, we were all drinking gin. We still had to do it. So, uh, but no, that's. Preface
1: preface, that you two were drinking gin. I was, and preface that that with the the fact that we were drinking before the announcement. It wasn't.
2: It wasn't as a
3: result of. That's important clarification.
2: All right, and no, but that's cool, Danny. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, and you know, slow I'll buy a, a Coke where you want. So, uh, appreciate it.
0: this podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing. So, we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. Thanks
2: again, Danny, for coming to the podcast. What a bloke, really. First of all, before we get into the footballing side of things, gotta say, he's genuinely a really upfront, honest, and nice gentleman.
1: Yeah, precisely. Um, he was he was incredibly open with with his answers. Um, there was no there was nothing like media training speak with him. It, it was shooting from the hip with all, all, all his comments, and that's definitely definitely something that the fans can hang on to.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's been, I mean, how many weeks in a row have we been saying that we felt a bit of a disconnect between the club and the fans? And if you even if you take results completely out of the equation, that disconnect was still there, and. I think you're just doing all the all the little one percenters, like you know, giving us time before and after the recording to just have a chat about football, and you know, doing that after a fairly long trip back from from watching a game this evening in person. I mean, yeah, we're it's about twenty to eleven now at night, so exactly.
2: And the man's got a whole a whole football club to run and to revolutionise, which is obviously he's doing well at the moment. So spending some time talking to us and you, know, you guys, hopefully, you'll enjoy listening. So um, let us know at PO Forecast, right? We're going to go into what we usually do here is the game preview for the game against Rochdale this Friday. If you don't know already and you're a flexi season ticket holder or member, please go out and redeem your free pass. It should be in your email account. If it's not, maybe just email the ticket office. Right. What we're going to do, though, instead is we are going to just quickly go around, lads. As Andy said, it's quite late already and we started this early. So let's go. Andy Mitchmore, I'd like to know your score prediction for the game against Rochdale.
3: Think it's going to be fairly high score in this one. Rochdale recent games, they're they're not the best at keeping clean sheets. I think that's a fair comment. So I would imagine I'm going with a 3-1 or 3-0 Pompey win. And Hugh, I know you're going with a slightly you're going for the over six and a half
1: goals prediction by the sounds of it. Don't know what you
2: going about? Uh what what was that, Freddie Webb? Seven nil?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me saying 7-0 but no, I'm very confident that Portsmouth will be able to use the newfound attacking prowess that they've had in the last two games and do really well in this one, I'm going to go with a 3-0 Portsmouth win
2: But you know what? I didn't actually listen to what Andy's prediction was because I'm a little tired, but what was Andy? <laughs>
3: Thanks mate, it's moments like this that make the podcast really worthwhile and I'm just super grateful Uh, For your attention, I I can't even remember either. I think I said. (laughs) 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 I think I I said three one or three nil. I definitely said three something. But I mean, I I mean they're they're coming off the back of a good three all draw against Peterborough, and they just don't tend to keep clean sheets. And we're quite dangerous going forward with the attacking players being utilized. So I'm going to say three one,
2: and then we can listen back later and see if it agrees with what I actually said two minutes ago. Nice one. I'm going to go for three 0 Pompey win as well. I think that I think Rochdale are a team that will concede goals. I considered saying seven 0 then I thought I was just being a little bit over, over, you know, excited. No, do you know what? Seven 0 no, You you heard it. Seven 0 Here we go. <laughs> Don't set a ceiling. Don't set a ceiling. The sky's the limit. Go for seven. Here we go. Seven 0 people. Marcus Harness four goals. No, I'm going to go with a three nil, a three nil Pompey win. I'm going to go Marcus Harness to score one of the goals again. I think Ronan Curtis comes back. He plays up front good chance he does that anyway um so i'm going to go with a uh, ronan curtis marcus harness and a ben close screamer from outside the box to round it off for a pompey three now win all right boys thanks for coming on the show freddie webb
1: it was a pleasure
2: andy mitchmore great having you as always
3: always a pleasure never a chore my
2: friend great and uh thanks danny cowley and until next time play out pompey <laughs> You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information.
1: And there is the full time whistle.